How we doing? That was a bit of a crazy intro video, but I'm digging it. But I'm digging it. Welcome to Metro. I'm so glad that you're here. We are one church with two experiences. So if you are with us at Taylor, uh, we are super glad that you're here. This is the right spot for you. And if you're joining us at a Riverview campus, uh, we think you're great and God is going to do great, great things in you. Uh, we are in this little series called the Old School. Anybody been tracking with us through the Old School? Uh, the idea of old school is that uh, we started many, many years ago. We started at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And uh, we've sort of been coming back to it and kind of revisiting it every once in a while. And the whole idea was very simple. We wanted to find out who God is. You know, what is his story like? How has he been interacting with human history throughout human history? And we wanted to find out how you and I fit into the ongoing story of God. And so now we're at this spot in the Old Testament called the book of Jeremiah. It's an ancient book. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was not a bullfrog, uh, but he was a prophet. And a prophet has this unique calling from God. His job is to speak for God. Speak for God. Now, this is an incredibly difficult task, right? I mean, you, you try it. You just go out to your place of business, to your neighbors and say, thus saith the Lord. And just see how that goes over. Just say, God says, just see how people respond to this is an incredibly difficult job. And one of the things that we're gonna learn is that through this lifetime of trying to follow God's call in his life, uh, Jeremiah is a man who wants to give up because he feels at many times that God has called him to something that is simply impossible. That it is just too difficult. Uh, does that sound familiar to anybody in your own life? You ever feel this way? That uh, life is just hard. And you're like, I can't take another round of this. I just can't go through this again, whatever the this is. Uh, has anybody ever felt like just throwing in the towel and just saying, I give up. I'm not even going to try anymore. Um, well, you're not too different than Jeremiah. You're really not. Um, even though Jeremiah lived 2,600 years ago, your story and his story, they're not that crazy far apart. We've been learning from Jeremiah about how life can be difficult, but God is in the middle of it. If we want him to be in the middle of it, that he is never far from us. And we've been learning and we're gonna learn that what Jeremiah taught all those years ago, what he preached about, what his message was, was, is just as relevant today as it was all those years ago. Uh, so if it's okay with you, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just open up with a word of prayer and invite God to speak to us, to move us to take our next steps with him. So whether you're, you know, been around Metro for a long, long time, or maybe uh, you're brand new to this whole church thing, or maybe you have been away from Metro for a while and you're just coming back, we really think uh, that this is a great place for you to take your next steps with God. And it just begins with having a humble heart before God to ask him to speak into your life. So could you just join me at both of our campuses in a moment of prayer together? So Father in heaven, uh, over the next few moments, I pray that you would quiet our souls, Lord. I pray that you would get me out of the way and that people would not worry about me or hear anything from me but God, that they would see you and you alone. God, we ask that your spirit would speak into these environments 
into our hearts, into our minds. Shape us, grow us, meet us where we're at. Speak, O oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. So let's start by talking about something really, really fun. You ready for this? Really fun? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about me for a little bit. Woo! I am so blessed. You have no idea how blessed I really am. You see, I am not like a serious shopper. Some of you are like serious shoppers and like you plan everything out. You're like coordinated from head to toe and you know, you make like regular trips to the mall or to the fashion places and it's like really important to you to get it all right and, and, and what matters to you is really style, not cost, Right? Style, not cost. Now, for me, it's a, it's a little bit different. Uh, what matters to me is I'm cheap. That, that's just the truth. You know, I mean, I'm conscious about the whole style thing, but cheap is simply more important uh, th than that. And so um, I am not a serious shopper. I am more what you'd call a random shopper. Like, seriously, like random trips shopping. My wife will go, what are you doing? I'm like, I I'm just swinging into the mall real quick. And she's like, you got 15 minutes between meetings. I say, that's all I need is 15 minutes because listen, I know exactly which store to hit and I know exactly where the clearance racks are. And I freak out when the store moves the clearance rack. I'm like, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Uh, and it's true. So all I need really is 15 minutes. And so for example, I'm so blessed. Uh, for example, uh, I, I got these new jeans that I'm wearing. Okay. And, and so uh, my, my kids tell me, they say, Dad, I mean, you're in front of people all the time. You, you, you got to hip it up a little bit. You, you, you know, you, you need to look halfway decent. I'm like, ah, oh, you know. And, and, and so they, 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 t they say to me, true story, they say, Dad, you can go to H&M. And just anything you can buy at H&M, you can just buy anything at H&M, you'll be halfway in style, and you're good to go if you just simply go to H&M. And so, uh, sorry, I, I swing into H&M, and, and I, I make a beeline right for the uh, clearance rack, and I'm starting to kind of look through stuff. And, and honestly, I'm kind of looking for a new pair of jeans. I feel like I kind of need a new pair of jeans, and apparently some people in the church have told me that I need some new jeans. And so, uh, I'm looking for, for jeans, and, and, and so I'm, I'm flipping through, and I, and I see these jeans, I think, wow, the ones I'm wearing, I think, well, these are pretty hip, you know, they got the the fashion distress right there. Not too much, not too little. See, it can't be too crazy because like, it can't be like my son, Zachary. My son, Zachary, he wears the crazier, the better. He's got stripes and zippers and holes everywhere. I mean, he's like way out there. But, you know, so I can't be quite that crazy. And I also can't be as straight-laced as some of you people out there because it's just too straight-laced. You know, I gotta have a little pop in it, right? And so uh, I'm looking through and I think these are great. You know, these look, they're my size. They look great. They're good quality. And so I find the price tag on them. And they're $17. And I about freak out. I think $17, this is a clearance rack. I mean, they should be like, so I kind of like, I just to reveal a little truth. I mean, if it's like past $10, I almost hyperventilate. I'm serious. I, you've hardly seen me wear anything that cost me much more than $10 my entire life. It's crazy, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, $17. Uh, and I'm like praying to Jesus over this decision. I'm serious. And I'm like thinking about this and I think, well, I do need them. And, you know, and they are good quality and they do make me look sweet, you know? And I'm thinking, you know, okay. So I eventually I'm like, okay, I man up. I'm going to buy them and I'm going to pay the $17 without complaining. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so I go up to the little lady at the register thing there, and she's ringing up my pair of jeans, and she looks at me, and she goes, oh, your jeans are $10. 
and I just smile and I say, glory to God. I am just so stinking blessed. Now, some of you are into shopping. Me, I'm not so much into shopping. Again, some of you are just like crazy about this stuff. Me, I just go and God blesses me. Amen. Okay? Uh, but uh, what I want to do, this is kind of like a little bit of a segue into what I think to be one of the weirdest little stories in the book of Jeremiah. And it involves shopping. Shopping. And so, I'd love for you to follow along. I don't want you just to hear it from me. I'd love for you to find it in a Bible. So if you've got a smartphone or a Bible, we'll turn the lights up a little bit. And I would love for you to find Jeremiah chapter 13. It's magic. You just go to your little smartphone, you Google Jeremiah 13, and it will come right up for you. Jeremiah 13. And here is how this opening verse says. Listen very carefully. It says, Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 1. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. In other words, you got to keep it new. You buy it new. You keep it good looking. Make sure you don't screw this up. Anybody ever find some, buy something and then like a day later you already ruined it? Yes. He says, don't do that. You got to keep this thing new, okay? Keep it from touching anything. And then he says, uh, Jeremiah says, and so I bought the belt as the Lord directed me, and I put it around my waist. And so what the hot hay is going on here? Uh, the word of God comes to Jeremiah and says, go shopping. And Jeremiah, being the obedient servant of God, he does exactly as God directs him. Now remember, Jeremiah is given this you know, kind of job description early on, right? He says, God says to him, you basically, your job description is to go do what I tell you to do, go where I tell you to go and say what I tell you to say. That's the whole job description. And so Jeremiah hears this message from God, which some of you are going, I hear that message every single day, uh, go shopping. And so he goes shopping, he buys this belt and he puts the belt on. And some of you are saying, if that's all it takes to be the servant of the Lord, I will gladly sign up for that right? Um, but what's really going on here? When, when God calls Jeremiah, the people of Israel and the nation of Israel is a mess. It's, it's broken, and it is a mess, and God is going to use this as a way of, of, of teaching them just how broken it really is. And, and so in order to kind of figure this out, we need to take a little bit of a historical journey. As you remember, we said Jeremiah came about 600 years before Christ, about 2,600 years ago, and he lands just north of the city of Jerusalem. But if we were to go back in time even further, almost a thousand years, you would find that the people of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt, right? And they're uh, under forced labor, and it is brutal and hard, and they cry out to God, and God raises a shepherd man to be their deliverer. His name is Moses. And Moses eventually goes before the Pharaoh, the king over Egypt, and he says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Moses wasn't saying, let my people go. He, he was saying, these are God's people. Let God's people go. He's speaking for God. He literally says, let my people go. But Pharaoh, of course, has a hard heart. He is not going to listen. He is the most powerful man in the world at the time. And so God says to Pharaoh through Moses, you will listen to me. You will eventually bow to me. 
That should be a warning to all of us. And he does. God sends a series of plagues through, through Moses. And eventually the Pharaoh's heart is broken and he decides to let the people go. And the people make this trek toward the, anybody remember the promised land, right? The promised land. But, but what's very interesting, as they're moving toward the promised land, uh, God promises uh, this incredible home for them. God promises this land where they could build a nation, where they could be a great people. Uh, but before they get there, uh, God takes them into the desert for like 40 years. This is like a long journey. It was supposed to be a short journey, but it takes a long time to sometimes get us to where we need to go. Anybody with me? Yeah. And so uh, while they're out in the desert, God says, hold on a little bit. We need to get on the same page. And right there in the desert, right there in the middle of the desert, um, there is this uh, marriage ceremony of sorts between God and the people of Israel. Literally, like there is this moment, this ceremony that takes place in the desert where God makes a covenant between himself and the people of Israel. Uh, and, and he says, I will be your God. And God asks them a question. And he says, will you be my people? It's like, will you be my wedded wife? Will you marry me? And God makes this proposal, this covenant between them. And he says, will you be my people? And the people, of course, say, yes, 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 yes. After what we just saw in Egypt, absolutely. Absolutely, we're going with you. We're going to stick with you. Wherever you lead us, we're going to follow you. Because you are great. And you saved us. And you delivered us. And so the people are all excited about this. And, and so they were in this desert experience. But there is this little twist to this covenant. There's this little kind of sidebar to this covenant that God makes with them. Now remember, a contract is a business deal. A covenant is a relationship deal. It's very different. It's based on humanity coming together, right? And so uh, remember, these people, the people of Israel, they have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so they're completely indoctrinated into the way that the Egyptian people think. And the Egyptian people, if you remember, they worship all kinds of gods. They worship the sun, you know, that ball of fire in the sky. They worship the sun as a god. They worship the Nile River as a god, and they worshiped Pharaoh as a god. Y'all remember this? And, and so this was completely indoctrinated into their thinking. And so when they were out in the desert, long before they ever get to the promised land, which would eventually be the home to which Jeremiah was born into, God says, I am glad that, uh, that you want me to be your god. I'm glad that you want to be my people, but this covenant I'm making with you isn't going to be kind of this free for all, uh, you know, kind of relationship. It's going to be like a marriage between one man and one woman. And I will be the husband and you will be the wife and I will be faithful to you and you must be faithful to me. God says this covenant comes with one really big demand. You're not allowed to have any other gods. I know that you've been for 400 years in the land of Egypt and you think, you know, all these crazy thoughts about this is a God, this is a God, you can worship this, you can pray to that, and you can pray to this. But he says, no, 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 the deal is very, very simple. No other gods, 
you follow me and you follow me only, period. You must love me. You shall have no other gods before me. Sounds familiar? Anybody? Sounds familiar? Uh, but the problem is, is once they got into the promised land, the people are going, oh, we're with you. But once they get into the promised land, as you can see, you, you go back and read their history, they, that quickly fell apart. They started to worship all these other gods, the gods of the Philistines, the gods of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and all the other ites that were out there. They literally just started to bring all these gods in. For example, they started to worship a god named Baal or Baal, right? And, and this god, Baal, who is a Canaanite god, basically claimed to be the god of fertility. And so if you wanted rain, uh, if you wanted your crops to grow, if you wanted uh, to have a son or a daughter, if you wanted to have children and you were struggling with fertility, you would go to, to the god of Baal and you would pray to the god of Baal. You would worship the god of Baal. You would make sacrifices to the god of Baal. You would give money to the temple at the god of Baal, trying to buy Baal's favor, right? Uh, a little bit later... Uh, they came to worship another god, a, a god called the uh, a god called Moloch. Have you heard of Moloch? Moloch was a god that demanded that they sacrifice their own firstborn child, and the people would obey this. And the people started to fall into this way of thinking. And by the time Jeremiah came around, um, they, they, the the people were utterly lost, that by the time Jeremiah came along, they were no longer the people of God. The, the people of Israel had totally sold themselves out to these other gods, to these other practices. They totally abandoned the God of heaven and the God of earth, that they had made this covenant where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Friends, listen to me. Friends, listen to me so close. It is not like God is insecure it is not like God is overly demanding here and says, you have no freedom. No, 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 not at all, friends. If, if you were engaged to, to be married, let's just pretend that you're in this engagement process and some of y'all are going, I would love to be engaged right about now. But let's just pretend you're engaged. And you found out about a month before the day that you were going to make this covenant to be man and wife together forever, to be faithful until death do us part. And you found out about a month in advance that, uh, that he was flirting around with somebody. Ladies, how would you feel about that? Gentlemen, what if you found out that your bride-to-be is out there making propositions to other men? You'd be going, hmm, I have some concerns about this, right? It would be reasonable for you to have a concern, and it would be a justifiable anger that you would have. And friends, this is God's position. He says, we made a covenant together. I freed you, I delivered you, I protected you, and I brought you somewhere. And I expect you to be faithful to me. Israel is supposed to have this marriage-like covenant with God, and it has literally just fallen apart. Uh, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is called to speak to this. Jeremiah uh, spends, I don't know, the first 12 chapters or so of, of, of his book uh, basically um, using these sexualized terms and describing them as harlots and prostitutes and, and uh, all of these, you know, sexualized terms that says, you know, this isn't supposed to be some sort of open marriage. This isn't supposed to be some sort of free-for-all type of thing. You're supposed to be loyal to God because he is loyal to you and he is good to you. And God gives Jeremiah this message that says the people of God need to return to God. 
that they need to turn around, that they need to repent and go after him. And so Jeremiah hears this message from God that simply says, go shopping. Go buy a belt and put it around your waist. Now, how foolish do you think Jeremiah felt? Going in the marketplace going, hey, you like my belt? God told me to wear a belt. And people are going, good for you. Good for you, right? But God leads him. And friends, we're gonna ask uh, today, just to warn you, uh, are we becoming like Israel? Are you and me becoming like the people of Israel? Where they let other things get in front of God? Where you have moved things that are good things often to idol-like status in your life? And is God calling you to turn something around? I think it is a conversation that we need to have. And so we're gonna spend a little bit of time, if it's okay with you, on the story that Jeremiah's in. And then we're gonna talk about our story a little bit. Is that okay with y'all? Okay. So God speaks again to Jeremiah, verse three. Check this out. Very simple. It says, so God tells Jeremiah, buy a belt and put it around your waist. And so uh, that's the first part of the instruction. Then it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Right, verse three, second time. Take the belt you bought and that you are wearing around your waist and go to Bereth and hide it there in the crevice of the rock. So I went and I hid it at Pereth, which is like a town, uh, as the Lord instructed me. And so you see in this, right? So he is told to go to the marketplace, to do a little shopping, uh, to get a belt. Uh, and then he's told to put it around his waist, which, you know, they don't have fancy belt buckles like we have, you know, so he puts it around his waist and ties it around it. He's walking around. Uh, a little bit later, God says, now I want you to go to the city of Pereth, which he says, go and, and you're gonna find some rocks in the city of Pereth. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the belt, untie it from your waist, and I want you to hide it in the rocks, right? I want you to leave it there in the rocks. And Jeremiah's going, what? What? I just got the belt. I just paid some money for the belt, and God says, yeah, 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 I just want you to go and leave it in the pile of rocks. So what's going on here? Now look at this, verse six, verse six. Many days later, the Lord said to me, now go, go now to Pereth and get the belt I told you to hide there. Hide there. And, and we're gonna learn that Jeremiah responds. And so a little side trip real quick. What do you notice about the character of Jeremiah? When God speaks to him, and when God's clear to him, he obeys God. He, he doesn't just go, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe later, sometime later, maybe, possibly I'll get around to it. He, he listens for the voice of God in his life, and he follows the leadership of God. And, and friends, let me tell you something. I cannot encourage you enough to learn this from Jeremiah. To, to be the person that says yes to God because so many of us go, uh, okay, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but maybe later. I'll get around to it, God, when I'm good and ready to obey you. 
You can't be serious because like, I know maybe what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not ready for that. This is how we respond. I'm not ready. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm the right person. I know I feel this call to do this, but they got to mean somebody else because like, that church has kind of got other stuff going on. It can't be me that you're calling. It can't be me that you're stirring. It's got to be somebody else. Somebody else can give. Somebody else can do. And we say, God, later. Or maybe worse, we say, God, never. Never. Friends, we need to be humble before God and follow the leadership of God's spirit in our life. And if we do, you're gonna be blown away by what God will do in and through you. And, and so it says this, that he, he goes to Perath and he digs up the belt and took it from the place where he had hidden it. But now it is literally ruined and useless. And so we got ourselves a, a different belt. Oh man, this belt's nasty. And, and what does it say? This belt is completely what? Useless. It's, it's ruined. It's like, it's like when you buy the, you know, the, the new sneakers and your kids just go right out into the mud. And you're like, I just laid 50 bucks down for that. It's absolutely useless. It's ruined, right? And so God is trying to make a point here with this. And, and he says it's, it's useless. So uh, it's, it's ruined. And so he, he's told, go buy the belt Take the, uh, to put it around your waist, take it to now to Pereth, hide it in the rocks, now go get the belt. And so what is up with the belt? What, what's the big deal about this belt? Well, skip down to verse 11, and we're clued into the story. Listen to this. God is making a point here. He says this, verse 11, for as a belt is bound around the waist, so I am bound all, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my name, for my renown, for praise and honor. But they have not listened to me. So instead of just preaching about what God expects, he begins to make this visual illustration that basically says what was meant to be good and new and beautiful and right, you have made dirty. It's broken. And so this idea of, of a belt, what, what, what is this idea all about? God says, I want my relationship to be like a belt that is gathered around the waist. It is meant to hold something close. It's meant to be this intimate sort of a relationship. It's meant to be a, a relationship that is clinging on. This idea of binding something is God saying, this is deeply personal, this relationship. This isn't just like you're kind of show up every once in a while and say you believe in something, but it is not meant to be that. It's meant to be a belt that is actually gathered gathered around your waist, that it's an intimate, styled thing. As a matter of fact, some of you who might be familiar with the Bible, you might remember another time this Hebrew word is used. It's actually used at the very beginning of Scripture. It, it, there's this spot in the Scripture that Jesus echoes in the New Testament where he says, he says, for this reason, you will leave your father and mother and be united to your wife. Anybody remember this? Well, that word united is the exact same root word of binding. It's this idea of the two becoming one. It's the idea of intimacy. It's the idea of personalness. It's the idea of relationship. And God says, this is what my intent was, was to bring you close. But listen, what you've done is you've ruined it. 
you've walked away and it's all dirty now and it's broken now and it's not good. What was meant to be personal is so distant and you're running after everything else for your soul satisfaction. And I am the one who can complete you. I am the one who is your God. And yet you're out there looking for love in all the wrong places. You're out there looking for something to satisfy your soul that you will never find outside of me. There is this uh, great, great book out there. It's called Counterfeit, Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. I don't know if you've heard of Tim, uh, but Tim is a pastor in New York and he is an amazing writer. I've read, I've read a lot of his works. And, uh, uh, and so much of what we're talking about today and, and next week is really gathered from Tim's books and uh, another pastor named Jeff Minion. I've got to give him some credit too because uh, they write about how, how this idea that we put other things in place of God and they write about it or Tim writes about it in this book and I really love the title and the subtitle of the book. It's called uh, Counterfeit Gods and then the subtitle is The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power and the Only Hope That Matters. Whoo! Y'all with me? And so Tim Keller begins to preach in the modern world like Jeremiah preached in the ancient world. And, and one of the quotes he has in his book is, is so compelling to me. He says this, uh, this idea about an idol. Uh, are you familiar with the idea of an idol, right? We talk about it all the time. It's whatever is lifted up to be your God. You worship something. Listen to me. Even those in this room who you're not sure what you believe, if you believe in God at all, you do realize that you worship something. You do. The question is what? What are you going after in life? Well, Tim Keller says it like this. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning. And then I will know I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. And friends, that can be anything. It can be a job, it can be your beauty, it can be your brains, it can be your talent, uh, it, it can be a person in your life, it can be your money, it can, it can be a house, or it can be a hobby, it can be a child, it can be your family, uh, it, it can be a business success, it can even be success in church work, it can be a success even in ministry. It, it can be anything that sneaks up and it takes the place of God. And we talk about in this church about how God is not only on top, but he is in the center of everything. And an idol is something that moves God out of the center and says, this is what will make you happy. This is where your joy will be found. This is where your significance and value will be found. And God says through Jeremiah, and God says through Tim Keller's book, anything or anyone that you pin your hopes on to satisfy is guaranteed to disappoint. They are counterfeits. They are not real. They are not soul satisfiers. And, and so Keller in his book, he, he points out three different characteristics of a counterfeit God, of these things that come into the middle of our life and push God out. Three things, and, and they're so good. Uh, he says, number one, that they're usually good. They're usually good. Uh, and they're generally unreliable, and they're often devastating. Do you hear me? 
So what does he mean by, by usually good? He, he, he means that oftentimes they start off incredibly good, like you get a new job or you get a career move going on or you make some investments or you find a great friend or you uh, find a husband or a wife or have a child. And, and at first they add so much to your life and, and they're a great addition to your life and there's, they're, they're good. They're not bad. There's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. They're usually very good, at least to start. But then what happens is that we allow the very good things to often wreck our lives. We begin to rely on them for peace. We begin to rely on them for happiness. We begin to rely on them for joy. And and friends, the truth is that they can't deliver the goods. They're usually good, but we often wreck it by moving them into a God-like status in our life. And the problem is, is that they're generally very unreliable. Things disappoint, don't they? Anybody? People disappoint, don't they? Uh, any, anybody in the room ever, other than me, ever experienced this? That you thought somebody was, woo, wow, they're just so awesome. They're like walking on water. Anybody? And then you find out something about them. Or they say something. Or they do something. And all of a sudden, that thing that starts off as good and perfect even, it just sort of falls apart. It becomes unreliable. And sometimes it even becomes devastating. Oftentimes it wrecks us because we put such hope and such confidence and and we rely on something that is literally unreliable and and it becomes disappointing and disappointment is devastating. Uh, Now, listen, we can't remember all that, but I want to try to remember a little bit of this. And so here's what I need to do. I want you guys to help me out a little bit like this. So we talked about this usually good, generally unreliable, and often devastating. So I need just you to remember one word of each of this. So these people over here in this little section right through here, this little section right here, you guys, same thing at our campus over at, at wherever campus you're at today, uh, the, the side to my right, to your left, you guys are going to remember good. So when I point to you, you're going to say good. Say good. good. Okay, help me out. Say All right, good. Middle people, you guys are completely unreliable. It's ridiculous. And, and so you guys are going to be unreliable. So say this with me in the middle section. Okay, one more time. There we go, there we go. To my left, to your right, you guys over here, you guys devastate me. It's it's tough. But you guys from this row over, you guys are gonna be devastating. So when I point to you, you say devastating. Here we go. Okay, one more time. Okay, y'all with me so far, right? We all good? We all good? Okay, so let's talk about some American idols. And I don't mean the Simon Show, by the way. I mean things that we let creep into our lives that kind of go up the chain and up the scale and without even recognizing it. It becomes like a God to us. And and the first one is this. Here it is. This is the first one. You ready for this? This should be one that you kind of expect, right? In America. There we go. We look to that all the time, don't we? And you go, oh, Pastor Jay, but money is important. Absolutely, money is important. Absolutely, I wish I had more of it. You probably wish you had more of it, right? And money can be a good thing. Money finances the things we need. It finances our food, our education, our housing, our clothing. I don't want to see y'all naked running around. I mean, money is important, right? It's a good thing. 
But the problem is, is that sometimes a good thing becomes a wrecked thing, a bad thing, because it is often unreliable, right? And it's true, right? You, there's a point, friends, listen, it may, may I humbly suggest that if we get to the point of pinning our hopes to money, we are going to find out that it is completely unreliable and it's often devastating. You see, we get to this point where we say, you know, if I, if I simply earn enough money, if my investments kind of get to a certain place or if I can just buy this certain thing, if I just add this thing to my life, I will be full of joy and full of happiness and I will be happy forever, forever, happy, happy, happy. Have, has, has that ever rang true to anybody? Like you, let's just be honest. You have thought, if I simply get this or get to this, I will be happy. Anybody? How did it work out? You buy the new car and three days later, you get a chip on it. Where's your happiness? You buy the sweet new jeans. You go to lunch and you spill ketchup all over it. Or maybe you tear it on something and you ruin the jeans. Or, or worse yet, you gain 10 pounds and you can never wear them again. And they sit in your closet. And what was supposed to make you so happy, where did it go? Something that was supposed to be good became and then even devastating. And friends, this happens all across the board. When we put our hope here, there is nowhere to go but down. There is a brokenness to it all. As a matter of fact, Paul in the New Testament part of the Bible, he is writing to a young pastor named Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, this is how you are supposed to instruct your church. You gotta make sure your church understands this. Make sure the people of God understand this. And he says this little verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Listen to these words. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their what? Hope and wealth, which is so what? uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Well, I'm not rich, Pastor Jay, so this doesn't apply to me. Do you realize if you don't have to worry about your food tomorrow, like if you are not worried that you're going to eat tomorrow, you are already richer than half the planet. How you feeling now? A little bit better, huh? If you got change in your pocket that you can spend with discretion, you're richer than almost 90% of the entire planet. How you doing? So it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their what? Their hope in money. And friends, let me tell you something. Uh, I think this creates one of the greatest challenges for American Jesus followers ever. How do we enjoy what God has given to us without putting our hope in the things that he has given to us. How do we do this, friends? How do we enjoy uh, the blessings of God without allowing the blessings to take the place of God himself, the blesser? There, there's this guy named Duo Dickinson out there. Uh, it's kind of a crazy name. 
and I'm not sure if he's a Christian or not. Uh, he is this investor, advisor type of a guy. Uh, he writes a lot about housing, and uh, he has a book out called Stay Put, and it's really about remodeling houses rather than buying a new house, and he talks about the investment values of, all, of, of remodeling your house and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what caught my attention. On the very first page or two of this book, there is this quote that just blew my mind. And, and, it, and I don't, again, I don't know if this guy comes from a faith-based reality at all, but what he said was absolutely the truth. He says this, if you don't like yourself, your house will not make your life or you like yourself better. Excuse me, let me start over. If you don't like yourself, your house will not make you like yourself better. If your family is dysfunctional, a new home will not pull it together. Any renovation you attempt as a psychological bomb, like a medicine, is destined to fail. What's he saying, friends? He says, a, a new family room will not fix your family a new, big, and better TV will not fix the soul of a family that is broken. Bigger and better does not mean bigger and better. Because it never fills the soul. It has to be something different. It takes something more. The problem is, is that we, uh, we, we often look to something that is supposed to be good and we end up finding it's unreliable and it what? It's devastating. And Paul said it like this, verse 10 of that same chapter. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Many griefs. I mean, you probably have seen this. I know I've seen it a hundred times. Young and ambitious couple. And they started on that career track and they're going to make it in this world. And he starts to work and work and work and eventually kids come along and she's busy at home and she's busy with the kids or maybe she's working part-time or they start getting separate careers going. And oh, they achieve so much in this world. They're loaded in this world. But you've seen it, haven't you? Another broken home. Because their family just came unraveled. Or, or, or maybe you've seen this. I know I've seen it a hundred times where, where a family is at the edge of dissolving. And, and it's because they have not reigned in their heart's desires. And all of a sudden these arguments break out. They've broken out in my own office. Well, you shouldn't have bought this. Well, you bought this. And I bought this. And you bought this. And all this finger pointing's going on because of this. And they put their hope in, in this, which is generally a, a good thing, but it, all, it is completely unreliable and it often devastates. devastates. And we see families that are devastated and souls that are broken and souls that end up very cold because something has moved into the place of God. And it's not just the people of Israel. And it's not just the neighbors down the road. It's us. Now, we have two more things we want to talk about. And you're going to have to come back next week to figure out what those are, right? But I just want to leave you with one closing word from Jesus. 
Nobody was better at talking about the soul than Jesus. And um, he talked about the pursuit of this becoming too much for us to bear. He, he talked about how this will not satisfy, no matter how much of it you get. And so I'm just going to put a simple verse of scripture on the screen for you. And without moving around, without leaving right away, I just want you to reflect for a moment, read it for yourself, reflect for a moment on these words. easy, isn't it? To uh, trade so much of ourselves, of our soul for the things of this world, for, for what's easy in this world. It's, it's like we trade what we, what we want now for what we want most. But listen, God is calling us into something much bigger, something much greater than that. What's he calling you into next? Listen, I'm intrigued by next week. I, I, I may be one of the pastors here. I don't know what's coming. Uh, so I am intrigued and, and I'm hopeful that you are as well and that you will come back next week and we will continue into the series, um, but specifically in, the, in line with this, this talk. Um, hey, could we pray with you this evening if something has connected with you or, or you, you walked in with something? Um, could, could we share that burden with you? Could we get messy with you? Um, right up here on the, my left, to your right. We, we have some people who would love the opportunity to talk with you and to pray with you. Uh, Metro, people need to know that God loves them and he's going to use us. So let's go do that this week. God bless you. Go in peace.